0: All right. If you take your Bibles together with me this morning, and we're going to be looking in the book of Titus and chapter two, Titus chapter number two. And I've been—we're uh, going to be looking at verse fourteen again, of course. I've been preaching from this verse for about a month, I guess, and there's just so much in it. Verse number 14 will be the verse that I'll read in your hearing as you follow along with me in your Bible. Titus chapter 2 and verse 14, and it says this, speaking of Well, I'll I'll include verse 13 because it tells us who it is he's speaking of. You'd know that anyway, I know. But looking for, in verse 13, that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, and here's our text verse, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, And purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Now, all the previous messages that I've shared related to this verse, and you'll remember that it's a verse with two parts, actually two parts. The first part of that is of great interest to us, of course all of it is, but The first part of the verse is talking about us. And it says, who gave himself for us. And so all the previous messages I brought have been related to that. Who gave himself for us. But then the second part of the verse says this, And to purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works, and so the first part of that verse is of great interest to us, of course. But the second part of that verse is from our Lord and Savior's perspective. And as I've shared with you in the previous messages, I had said this, why, why he died, why he gave his life. And then as we got to the Christmas period of time, I changed that a little bit, why he came Why he came to this earth. And of course the angel told Mary, His name shall be called Jesus for he shall save his people from their sin. Save his people. And so all throughout the New Testament it talks about his people. They are his. They have been purchased uh, by a great price. He shed his precious blood that we might have the forgiveness of our sin and have that blessed hope. Uh, of spending eternity with Him in glory. And so in this verse, uh, I think is unique. It's unique because number one, uh, there are passages in the Bible that can stand all by themselves. They don't need to or don't have to, and we could find other passages related to them, but if there were none, it stands all by itself, all alone. And it incorporates all time, all span of time. And we learn that this is why Jesus came into the world. Why he came into the world. And so it is a awesome, awesome verse of scripture. Now this morning, I want to make the transition. I want to go from the first part of that verse to the second part of that verse. The second part of that being to uh, purify unto himself, to purify unto himself. And so we're going to be looking at that just a little bit. And from his perspective and his standpoint, it only makes sense that his people are his reward. There's a verse of scripture, I can't remember where it's located, but it says, the Lord's portion is his people. And Jesus says in that great intercessory prayer, He says, Thine they were, and thou givest them unto me. And Jeremiah, of course, tells us that He has had us and loved us from eternity past, forever. He has loved us with an everlasting love. And therefore, He said with loving kindness, He drew us unto Himself. So it is an awesome passage of scripture and he has every right, every right, he's going to spend eternity with his people and he has every right to not only choose them but also to implement his marvelous effectual grace to make of them what he would have them to be. And that's going to be the theme of this second part of the verse. That that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's in the process of purifying unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. And what awesome truths there are in those words that are spoken in that verse. Now, this morning, I want us to think about that term, purify unto himself. I want us to think first of all about what it means to purify. What, what is the meaning of that, of that word, purify? So, purify and unto himself, which would teach us that it is a sovereign act of his will and purpose in doing so. A sovereign act of his will and purpose in doing so. So to purify unto himself. Now, I looked up about all of the places in the scriptures where that word uh, purify is found. And uh, in the Old Testament, uh, it is used almost exclusively for uh, the ceremonial procedure uh, when one had become uncleaned, in other words, to purify themselves. And of course, God in, in the Old Testament gave certain things and procedures and uh, uh, sacrifices and the like in that process of purifying oneself. And it was ceremonial. And we would, we would look at them passages of scripture and we we'd have to say, well, I don't see that there's anything about, about that outward act that would make anyone pure. And the conclusion that we'd come through to in that is that they would do those things as an act of faith and actually the, the purifying would be coming from the Lord, that the Lord must do that. And so we would be right in, in thinking about that. And so uh, he's not saying here uh, in this passage of Scripture uh, that you purify yourself And you shall be a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Even though the Bible does tell us, does say that, but I want you to know that it is truly an act of the Lord. Or He's not saying you purify yourself, you you become perfect, you become absolutely clean, and that'll be the grounds of my choosing you. Now, anybody that's familiar with the Scriptures would understand that that's not the grounds of His choosing. And I hope to, in a moment, share with you some passage of scriptures that uh, bear that very fact out. And so, uh, what it is is uh, a, even when we are told to purify uh, ourselves, I'll, I'll give you an example of that. It is in the book of James, in chapter number four, and it's in the eighth eighth verse. Uh, seven verse 7 says this. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And then the 8th verse says this. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, the purifying of the heart I think that anybody familiar with the scripture would uh, understand that that is an act of his sovereign grace wherein he uh, br- makes that uh, a, a reality. And there's a couple of examples of that in the book of 1 Peter. Of course, you're, if you've turned to uh, James 4.8, you're close to that. In the first chapter of 1 Peter, it says this, Seeing you have purified your souls in the obe- in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto Unfeigned love, unfeigned in your King James Version always means not fake. It's unfeigned, it's not fake. Uh, Unfeigned love for the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. And we would agree that even obeying that uh, is a matter of trusting Him to give us the ability to do that. And we know that we love each other, why? Because He first loved us. And as Romans chapter five and verse five tells us that when he saves someone, he pours his love into them, into their hearts. And so our ability to love one another is from God. And even the purifying uh, of the soul, as it says in that verse, uh, in obeying the truth through the Spirit, through the Spirit. So we would know that it was an act of God. This matter of purifying, is an act of God. The very fact that we pray, Lord, forgive me, is an acknowledgement of the fact that that is a process whereby God cleanses us or makes us pure or forgives us for our sin. Another example of that is in 1 John and chapter 3 and in verse number 3. And this verse says this, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he or Jesus Christ is pure. Now, th- that verse comes to us. Uh, let me just back up and read verse one and two. And it, it brings out a very important point. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that he should, he, sh- we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now, are we the sons of God, and doth not yet appear what we shall be? But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And then that verse comes in there, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. And so that blessed hope is uh, a confident assurance of what was we're going to experience in the future. What is yet future, that's what that hope is. And everyone that is saved by the grace of God and have confidence in that fact, know for sure that we are saved. We have that hope. We know that the promises that have been made for to us in the Scriptures are going to be a reality uh, for us along the way. So, the fact that we have the hope is the reason why He purifieth Himself. So I wanted to make that point. And I think it's an important point. We don't make ourselves acceptable unto God. We don't do that if we believe the right thing. We're not a people who believes in works justification. And the Bible tells us very clearly that we're not saved by works. We're not saved by that. We're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourself. The Bible says... It is the by grace of God. It's how we're saved. We understand every person who comes in a sincere attitude of repentance for sin, humbly comes before the Lord recognizing their condition before Him. That's just the way that is. And so I don't want you to be misled by this statement that is made, uh, come to purify unto himself. This is not an act of the individual, but it is a sovereign act of God uh, in doing so, in performing that. So that's a that is a, a good point that needs to be made. And so it is His choosing. It is His choosing. Now I know I read this passage of scripture every once in a while, but it's so precious. And you can turn with me to First th- First Corinthians, rather. I'm sorry, and chapter number one. And I might ask you this question, uh, what uh, kind of people is it that he calls unto himself? What is it that he calls unto himself? And the Bible answers this really well in First Corinthians chapter 1. I'll begin reading in verse number 26 where it says, for you see your calling brethren. You see your calling brethren. Anyone that has ever experienced that awesome call of God and bringing to our awareness of our condition and our need before Him, we look at that and we see that, we understand that and he goes on to say this, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. So you see how it falls into the statement about purifying well, we could add that uh, to it, not many that have purified themselves. You could say that because it's a biblical reality. And it says in verse 27, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world uh, to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world... And the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not, to bring to naught the things that are. And then we find out why that is in the 29th verse. And this is an awesome verse. That no flesh should glory in His presence. Now, I don't know about you, but over the years I've gotten in a lot of discussions with people. And some people, you know, what I never knew until... I got to talking with them and everything and I want you to know I've met a lot of people over the years who uh, when they start talking about the reason why they know they're saved they'll they'll say they know they're saved because they've earned it and they've they've worked for that they'll they'll actually say that and uh, uh, of course <laughs> some of those conversations have been, uh, quite lengthy and, and have been people that I never met before the conversation started and run into them again later and, uh, and, and, and them tell me certain things just because they know to aggravate me that it don't sound right, you know. And, uh, one such fella, I run into him uh, quite some time after our conversation and I said, how you doing? And he said, I'm still holding out. Well, I knew what he meant by that. I knew exactly what he meant by that. He believed that it would lead to his salvation. And, and he had already told, told me that very thing. And so uh, the Bible tells us here the kind of people that God calls so that there's no, there is no glory, no flesh and glory in his presence. I want to tell you, my friend, if you truly saved by the grace of God, one day you'll fall on your face before the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and you will just praise Him for His marvelous grace and His mercy that has been bestowed toward you. There'll be no pride or arrogance in His presence. There'll be none. And I want to tell you, if you're right with the Lord today, there's no arrogance in His presence now. If you understand how how that's come about. So the Bible says that. Uh, and I will go ahead and read the other two verses of that chapter. It says, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us. Listen to this wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Now why do you have all those things? But you have them because it says of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who God hath made unto us? He is our wisdom. He is our righteousness. He is our sanctification. He is our redemption. That's what that verse is saying. And then he repeats that again when he says this, That according as it is written, He that glory glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. You say, preacher, you like preaching stuff like that, don't you? Well, I sure do. I like honoring my Lord and Savior. I don't like that a gospel that honors individuals rather than the Savior is a false gospel. It's false. The true gospel will always honor our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and give Him the credit and the praise and the glory for anything that is good in us. Amen? Anything that is good, it comes to us in that Way and so the Bible is telling us there the kind of people that He calls, and He's telling us the reason why it is that He only calls those who would not glory uh, in His presence. And the purpose is found in Ephesians chapter one and verse number four. And I'm, I'm, I might could quote that. I think I could, but I'm going to uh, turn there and I'm going to read that verse. Because we understand the purpose for which Jesus came and the reason why that He died for us. In chapter 1 and verse 4, it says, according as He, now it's talking about that He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, uh, in Christ, in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. When did that happen? Well, that verse answers that question. It happened then. Somebody might say, well, I was saved ten years ago and the Lord chose me then. Well, not according to the Word of God. Did He chose you before the foundation of the world? Why? That we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. And the sixth verse says, To the praise of the glory of His grace wherein He hath made us accepted. How? In the Beloved. In Christ Jesus. That's the only way. Uh, that we are. So we see something of his his purpose in that. Also in James in chapter number two and in verse number five, it says, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him. Promise to them, to them who love him. Now, Contrary to popular teaching, uh, the Bible doesn't say that we are, were saved when we became worthy of salvation. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. The gospel does not say you you get yourself ready and then the Lord will save you. And you and I, I've had so many people to tell me that I, I I don't want to make a profession of faith because I'm I'm not prepared. I need to clean up. My act. I need to get everything just exactly right. I've heard so many make that statement, but I would remind you this morning that the Bible says, while we were yet sinners. Did you hear that? While we were yet sinners. Also, it tells us in Romans, while we were enemies. While we were enemies. It tells us in Romans, too, when we were without strength. When we're without strength. You know what kind of person the Lord saves? He saves the one that can't save himself. He saves the one who has come to the place in his existence where he knows he's unworthy and he needs salvation. And when we trust him, we trust him uh, for that very thing. And so it is a wonderful and marvelous uh, truth of that. And so the verse is telling us that... In, in this short little term that we found there, purify unto himself. I think anyone, when they think about that statement, purify unto himself, that that's something he does. You say, has he got to say so in that? He sure does. Because it's for himself. To purify unto himself. Oh my friend, he's going to be with you throughout all eternity without end. And I want you to know the Bible's very clear about something that He is in the process of purifying a people for Himself. That's what He's in the process of doing. And so we would know that that's an act of His sovereign will and purpose and it's on His part. Now I understand, as I've already shared with you in many ways as we've, as we've gone along, is that there is a popular teaching in the world today that's opposite of that. I don't preach that. I preach that, my friend, I can tell you how good God's been to me. I've known the Lord for, I think it's 57 years of my life. And the one thing that He's taught me over and over and over and over is you're not worthy of that. You don't deserve that. And so that's why it is by His marvelous grace that He has saved us. And so that honors Him. Now I want to spend just a little bit of time on how that's done. And there are many things that I can bring to your attention. There's a lot of things taught in the Bible that is in this process. And I want you to understand something. It is a lifelong process as as we live our life and we experience His working in our life. It starts, He starts it, He initiates it, and He starts it, and I got news for you, He also finishes it. And so all of our life, I, I can remember uh things in my younger days. I know it's been a long time ago, but I sure do know it well. I, I think back and I think, Boy, you know, I thought I knowed it all. But man, I tell you, I just didn't hardly know nothing. I didn't hardly know anything. But this matter of purifying unto himself. And of course, there's one thing that is mentioned in this passage of Scripture. Uh, It talks about being redeemed. Redeem us from all uh, iniquity. talks about that. And purify. Now, There's an interesting thing about that word purify. Uh, As a matter of fact, I could just mention this right quickly. Uh, The tense of that verb indicates that that's once done, once and for all. That's an interesting fact. You say, but preacher, I know I'm not pure. I know you're not either. I know I'm not. And when I look at myself, when I look at myself in this flesh... In this old nature that the Lord has chosen to uh, allow me to live in. I have a new nature. But there's always this battle that goes on in my life. Always this battle. That's why that I pray so many times in my walk. Lord forgive me. Lord have mercy on me. We want to live for Him. That desire was put in us by His grace And then we are constantly made aware that we fall short. And and anybody that's truly saved, i tell you what you'll do. You'll always repent. The Spirit of God will bring it to your attention and will always come to Him in repentance. But that word purify is found in the New Testament 31 uh, times. And I want to share with you a little thing interesting that I found about that. We all know that in the Bible, leprosy is a type of our sinful state or sinful condition. Leprosy is a type of sin. And so, we understand that in Bible days, leprosy was a terrible thing. And any time I think that anyone was cleansed of leprosy would be uh, by the marvelous grace of God. So I, I want to share with you, but, because when I got to looking at all the ways that the New Testament uses that word, I couldn't believe how many times it was connected to leprosy. And it helps us to understand something. Now, if you take your Bible, I'll share with you Matthew chapter 8. I'll share with you several passages of Scripture. And it's surprising how often that it's in the Scriptures that way. In Matthew in chapter number 8, and in verse 2, and in verse 3 also. And here's what it says in verse 2, And behold, there came a leper, and worshipped him, worshipped Jesus, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. That word clean is the same Greek word as "purify." You can make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, "I will be thou clean." And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. So three times it's used in there. It's used in there. Now let me give you another example, right quickly, in the tenth chapter, tenth chapter of Matthew, and in the eighth verse, it says this. Uh, he says this: Heal the sick. Cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. Now he's talking uh, to his disciples that he sent forth, and so it says, cleanse the leper. You know, you something you might say. Well, it could have said, you know, just heal the leper. Well, they needed cleansing. They needed cleansing, and so that's the way it's used there in chapter eleven and in the fifth verse. I'll share this verse with you, and it says this. Uh, and in verse, Jesus answered and said unto them, "Go, go show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them." When he says leprosy. He uses that word, cleansed. Leprosy is cleansed. In Mark chapter 1 is another one. If you want to turn to that one, I'll share that one with you. In Mark chapter 1, and verse, beginning in verse number 40, and here's what it says, And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean, Or you can make me pure, make me purified. Same word. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him, and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. You see, over and over in the Scriptures, Luke chapter 4. I'll give you another one. In Luke chapter 4. That's an interesting uh, point. Is that it's used in that way so many times in the scripture. Luke chapter 4 and verse number uh, 27. And here's what it says. And many lepers. I remember preaching from this passage of scripture uh, not long ago. And it says this. And many lepers were in Israel at the time of Elias uh, the prophet. And none of them was cleansed save Naaman the Syrian. And so he was cleansed because he obeyed and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan and he was made clean. And then in chapter 5 here and verse number 12, And it came to pass when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy who seeing Jesus fell on his face and besought him saying, Lord, if Thou wilt, Thou canst make me clean. Make me clean. All that is the desire of every poor sinner who realizes his need of the Savior and who is convicted of his sin. All that is a prayer in essence. Lord, make me clean. Lord, forgive my sin and make me clean. Also in chapter 7 and verse number 22. 7 and verse 22 says this, And Jesus answered and said of them, Go your way and tell John what things you have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the poor uh, have the gospel preached. And so... It is over and over. I couldn't hardly... And there are many, many more. Many, many more. I could just keep right on giving them to you. And you can look that up for yourself and see how it's used there. Lepers were cleansed. Lepers were purified. All poor lost sinners are purified too by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you this morning, if you know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you might say, well, I'm unworthy. I know I don't deserve that. But He views you through the blood of Jesus Christ. You're under the blood. You are in Christ. So in Christ, you have been purified if you have been saved. So over and over in the Scripture. And I'll just mention just one thing that is brought to our attention in this in this very verse of Scripture. How does he do that? What is involved in that process? And I don't know whether I'll share this with you in the future or not, but there are several different things that are mentioned in the Bible. In this verse, it says here in verse 14, "...who gave himself that he might redeem us." Redeem us. And that is an awesome word. We could say redemption is part of that justification, sanctification, adoption. There are so many things that are taught us in the Scripture that are part of that process. It's a process that Jesus is working and performing. Jesus working and performing. And so it talks about redemption. And uh, redemption has this definition. It means to release or liberate on the receipt of a ransom. A ransom that's paid. A ransom is the price paid to re- redeem a slave or a captive uh, to loose and unbind. I read somewhere one time that during New Testament times that Ro- the Roman Empire had multitudes of slaves. It's estimated they could have been 6 million slaves in the Roman Empire at the time of the writing of the New Testament. So slavery was a big business in Rome. And people could redeem their loved ones or their friends by paying a ransom price to set them free. And so we, if you know the Lord this morning, you were a captive. You were a slave. You were in a condition of a fallen state and a depraved state. And when... You were redeemed, you actually was bought back. You were, had, had the ransom price paid for you. And it's so important that we understand that. We need to be thankful and praise the Lord for what He's done for us. Now, there are several ways of understanding this word redeemed. I'll show you as many as I can right quickly. It means, first of all, the remission of our sin. And in the book of Ephesians, in chapter number 1, I want to share this with you. The remission of our sin. And uh, it says in chapter 1, beginning verse 5, Having predestinated us unto the adoption, there's one of those words, of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. That tells us it was a sovereign act of His will in doing so. To the praise and the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the beloved. I couldn't do it, but He did. He did. In whom we have redemption through His blood. There's that word, redemption, through His blood. The forgiveness of sin according to the riches of His grace. Oh, my friend, if you know the Lord today, you ought to be just so thankful and you ought to be praising Him for that. And, and, and another way is to pay a ransom. Now, I'd like to share with you some things that are taught us in Hebrews and chapter number 9. If you want to turn there, I'll read these verses. Verse 12 through verse 15. Uh, it means a ransom has been paid. Listen to this. Beginning of verse 12. It says, "...neither by the blood of goats or calves, uh, but by his own blood..." That's talking about Christ entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and ashes of heifer sprinkled the unclean and sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, that's that Old Testament ceremonial uh, purifying. It says in verse 14, How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You know, something happens to people when the Lord saves them. They don't turn around and go right back and live the same life they've always lived. You might say, preacher, I've known many to do that. Well, i got news for you they never were saved to begin with. Because there's a process that takes place purge your conscience from dead works. Verse 15 and for this cause he that he is the mediator of the new testament or new covenant that by means of his death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first covenant uh, testament or covenant they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Oh, what an awesome truth that is. If you can say I'm redeemed, You can say also there's been a ransom price paid for me. And then another thing I want to call your attention to, it is to remove the curse. And in the book of Galatians it talks about that. In the book of Galatians in chapter number 3 and verse 13. This is an awesome verse. Listen to what it says. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Oh, I'd remind you this morning, if you were still under the law, you would be hopeless. Because the law was to make us aware of our sin. Obeying the law could never save anyone. And if you think you could, uh, if you try to keep one, you've got to keep them everyone. All of them. And it's humanly impossible. So to redeem us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written... Cursed is everyone that hangeth upon a tree. So to remove the curse, and then, as I shared with you, also to redeem us from a sinful lifestyle. In First Peter and chapter number one, First Peter chapter number one, and in the eighteenth uh, verse, listen to this: For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold. From your vain conversation, that word conversation in this verse means lifestyle. Your vain being, vain lifestyle, uh, conversation received by the tradition from your fathers, passed on to all of the human race, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but manifest in these last times for you. That's how we are redeemed. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And there, there's a song, Brother Aaron, if you could find it right quickly, we'll close with it. Redeemed. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. He probably already had something else picked out. But I, wanted, I want to say this this morning. If this marvelous and wonderful act of sovereign grace is working on you, and that's what happens, it starts... How does it start? How does it start? And I tell you, it's been such a long, long time ago, but friend, I can remember just like it was this morning. I remember how it was. I'm so thankful for preachers who preach the gospel straight and true. I'm thankful for Sunday school teachers who taught the truth to their students. I'm thankful for parents and grandparents who taught the truth. I come in my life to know that I was a poor, worthless sinner and I needed salvation. And all I can remember, say, Preacher, do you remember where I've told you this before? But I was going down to the creek bottom to get to, help get the cows up to Milk them. You know, you had to milk every morning and night no matter what. But we did it before we went to church. And I remember exactly where I was at. And I stopped in that cow path. And I looked up and I I remember the prayer that I prayed. And I remember how I felt. I knew I needed a Savior. I knew I needed Jesus. And every single moment since then, I still need Him. Father, thank You for what You have done. And Lord, if there's anything we've done, and I know that there are many here who have done many things. There have been people who have made a public profession of their faith. They've followed You in baptism and in membership of a New Testament church. There have been many that have done many things, but we do them not to be saved, but we do them because we are. We are saved. It's like being convicted when we fall short. And we do as your children. And we're convicted of it. And we pray, Lord, have mercy on me. Forgive me. Restore me. Help me to have victory over these things. All of that is His working in us. We thank you for it. Praise you for it. In Jesus' name and for His sake we pray. Amen. Now would you stand with, with me while Brother Aaron leads us in this number?